You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. I don't know if I feel comfortable in going with the Fullerton Pike property. Later in the program, Monroe County Councilor Jennifer Crosley expressed concerns about the new potential jail on Fullerton Pike during the latest Community Justice Reform Committee meeting. More in the bottom half of the program. Also coming up in the next half hour, Little Bub's Little Show, a co-production between the WFHB Local News and Little Bub's Big Fun. But first, your local headlines. On December 7th, The Bloomington City Council discussed a resolution to update the city's Americans with Disabilities Act transition plan. Staff liaison for the Bloomington Council for Community Accessibility, or CCA, Michael Shermis, spoke on behalf of the resolution to update the city's Americans with Disabilities transition plan. A plan is required to try to move the city towards uh, full uh, ADA compliance. Um, it's probably never uh, achieve, achievable, but we should always be talking about it. Um, it is a, a joint effort amongst uh, many departments, uh, and uh, especially, I'll just name planning and transportation, engineering, public works, parks and rec. Former Bloomington Council for Community Accessibility Chair Deborah Meyerson expanded upon the benefits of the transition plan for the city. The purpose of the Accessible Transportation and Mobility Principles, one, to guide how the city of Bloomington plans and implements accessible transportation and mobility considerations for persons with disabilities, and in particular to inform citywide improvements and development of public spaces so that legislation and infrastructure truly reflect the needs of our diverse community, so that boards, commissions, council members, can help make decisions with this in mind, not just thinking about people with disabilities, but so that people with disabilities are at the table as part of that decision-making. So we did this under the rubric of the Council for Community Accessibility, as Michael Shermer so um, uh, uh, presented for. Um, And this is a volunteer group that advocates for the interests of people with disabilities. Um, In particular, I got involved with a transportation mobility workshop that some council members I know attended in June 2021 that was about increasing pedestrian accessibility for all and had some pedestrian walk audits as part of it. Um, And that was also very illuminating. She provided a summary of the CCA and how the council's accessible transportation and mobility principles were reflected in the plan. So I'm gonna quick present the principles. One, adopt inclusive processes. We need an equitable process that includes people with disabilities at the table um, and seeks meaningful info input in a fully inclusive process. Seeking equitable outcomes, an equity-based transportation network, and connecting people with disabilities to places where they can live, work, and play. Again, think about that independence. My son is not gonna drive a car, right? He needs someone to drive him places. He likes to take the bus. He likes to walk places. And we need to have access to those different opportunities. 
Number three, pursuing planning. This is, again, tying into the ADA transition plan, which, as Michael noted, details how the city is going to ensure that its facilities, services, et cetera, are accessible to individuals. But this is not sufficient by itself, and that is why we've developed these principles, because that has certain limitations that we really need to look broad, more broadly than that. Um, prioritizing safe access. Often, you know, different decisions are made about how to weigh speed, access, safety, and we want to make sure that design and repair are really reducing risk for the most vulnerable users. And finally, number five, anticipating and reporting impacts. How do we know if it's working, right? This is really the beginning of a conversation. It's not done, adopt it, and hey, we're done. It's how do we do this? How do we figure this out? And so evaluating, are the decisions we're making actually helping? Have we review and refine these principles as they're being implemented uh, and periodically review that? Um, there are more in the principles. I certainly hope that you will look at the full principles and document includes recommendations, examples of accessibility and complete streets policies, of which there's not that much. There's just a couple, <laughs> but the ones that are out there are quite good. Uh, glossary resources, really a whole bunch of additional information that will be helpful to help implement these principles. And finally, I'll leave you with next steps. Um, I really encourage and would uh, uh, support the councils to adopt and implement these principles. Again, the ADA transition plan is a federally required document. This is an add-on that is really important to really establish the transportation equity I started out with. So I appreciate your time tonight and uh, would be happy to answer any questions either tonight or offline. Thank you. Council member Kate Rosenbarger questioned Meyerson regarding the implementation of the principles and proposed some strategies, which Meyerson responded to. I am excited about this and um, just wanted to ask some questions about principle one, adopt an inclusive process. I know this is like where you are in the process right now, but what do you think that looks like, I, I guess, over time? Um, just the whole, the whole, the first bullet, establish an equitable process. Um, do you think that might be, like, I think something useful would be like a series of questions for um, people like us to ask and to like run through a lens or a filter in that way, the same way we do a little work with an equity filter or lens? Well, my, my wish list, which is, you know, in terms of my vision is I would love to see the principles as a whole put into a resolution so that there is legislative clout behind it. So that, again, when different boards, commissions, when legislation comes before council, there is an opportunity to feed in that perspective of how is this affecting people with disabilities on a regular basis. There are certainly other ways that the principles could be adopted or implemented, mm -hmm. um, but again, my vision is a legislative channel that would create the clout that's really, I think, necessary to maintain a continuous and ongoing uh, effort to implement um, the outcomes that are desired. Thanks. And I, I think that is good. And I think what Mr. Sherma spoke to a little bit, too, was like in when you talk about it in theory, a lot of people can be on board with it. And it is harder than to implement in practice if you don't have potentially some of those pieces like questions to ask or like data to um, to use, I guess, to get to get to that point. That's not a question. Thank you. 
The current chairperson of the Bloomington Council for Community Accessibility, Chair Leslie Davis, emphasized the importance of a city having an ADA transition plan and the willingness of the CCA to assist the Bloomington City Council in implementing the resolution. I think that in the spirit of um, nothing about us without us, um, it is extremely important for any city to follow the recommendations set forth in an ADA transition plan. Um, there is no such thing as the ADA police. Nobody comes around and checks these things wholesale. And so it is up to citizens and their communities to comply with the things that we are meant to comply with um, under federal law. Um, and because it is so hard to, um, you know, because there are no ADA cops, essentially, um, it's organizations like ours, like the Council for Community Accessibility and um, ADA transition plans that really allow a city to put itself kind of out in front of, of that law that we're all meant to uphold in the U.S. And um, the CCA, uh, Council for Community Accessibility, is here to help you and anyone in the community who has questions about um, how do I make this inclusive for people with disabilities. Um, I didn't used to have a disability. I wouldn't have known the first thing about how to make something inclusive for people with disabilities. And I have a particular type of disability, which means that that sidewalk that's difficult for Deb's son is also difficult for me. Um, but it's only because I have a blind friend that I know it's also difficult for her. So disabilities are vastly different and making something accessible doesn't just mean to make it wheelchair accessible. There's so much more to it, um, and nobody expects any one person, any council member, to know what that looks like. Um, so, but if we say we're going to do it, um, you, I want you all know, to know that you have help doing that from people with a wide range of disabilities. During public comment on the resolution, Constituent Peter Dorfman inquired about the consequences that could be leveled against the city if it did not follow through with the goals outlined in the transition plan. CCA staff liaison Shermis and Chairperson Davis responded. The ADA does not have uh, a lot of teeth to it as a, as a law goes. Um, frequently for things to happen, it takes people who want to complain and and pursue it through legal means. Uh, so I, like Leslie said earlier, there, you know, there are no ADA police to be able to ensure that that's the case. Can you speak, Leslie? Um, also with a quick consultation with your colleague in the city, um, what can happen, the, the way that people, um, the way that individuals wind up getting ADA enforcement is that they go to the depending on the area of the ADA. But if we're talking about much of accessibility, they would go 
to the Department of Justice, and they could say my rights were violated under the ADA, and if the Department of Justice came and did an investigation, they would say, oh look, and here the city of Bloomington adopted this transition plan and said it would do these things. Or it might also say, oh look, here the city of Bloomington hasn't updated or fulfilled its transition plan in umpteen years, and that's also a problem. So that's how it would come up probably because an individual brings suit against the city. The city council approved the resolution unanimously. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on December 14th. The Community Justice Reform Committee met last night to continue their proposal to build a new Monroe County Jail. County Councilor Jennifer Crossley said she doesn't feel comfortable moving forward with the Fullerton Pike property after hearing from experts and community members. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable. I know it's late in the game uh, to say that, considering that it's going to first reading for the city council on Wednesday. I don't feel comfortable. I just feel like I need to say that because as a committee member and also a financial member responsible for things, I've said this since the very beginning of me being on this committee that I feel like we are really rushing into something that this is a really challenging moment for us right now where we can we can set ourselves up to succeed or set ourselves up to fail. And the findings and I'm sure and I'm so curious to hear what the judges surveys will say next month. Um, although my hunch is that it probably won't be far off from what we have heard this evening really gives me great pause. And I ask us to take a pause for a minute to figure out what the heck it is that we're about to do. Um, I no longer feel comfortable with the Fullerton Pike property. Uh, I don't know if everybody got the community response from the one individual that, okay, so, and I, I saw that last night. Um, and then I saw it this morning and was finally feeling well enough to respond to it today. And I did. Um, but in the Ray report, and I'm looking at it right now, which is why I'm staring at my computer screen. And it talks about how we should be making a comparative study of cost, renovating costs. Um, if that's in the report that we took the time to do and have somebody do and the county paid for it to do, I think we need to push ourselves to look at, for sake of transparency um, and what community members have been asking for, I think it would be necessary for us to have that just as a comparative way for us to see what it is that we're doing. Um, I'll stop talking here in a little bit because uh, I again want to hear a public comment, but I just I just feel like we are pushing something that just does not feel right. Um, and I ask ourselves to really think about what it is that we're about to do, what we're trying to do, and to slow down while making sure that we are taking care of those that are incarcerated while they are there but truly think about how lives will be changed, how employees' lives will be changed, how the trajectory of this location could change 
for 40 plus more years um, to go. So I just felt like I needed to say that um, as well. But I'd, I I would personally ask for us to have a comparative cost of renovating and for us to really, after these surveys are done, to really take our time to think about what it is that we're about to do. Because I think this almost feels like a train wreck that we can't stop watching that we're watching. Monroe County Commissioner Lee Jones responded that she has heard complaints about the process of building a new jail, but she hasn't heard many solutions. The feeling up to now has been that we know that building, and I'm not talking about the jail in particular, I'm talking about the entire building has big problems. And we, it's going to be difficult to deal with those. Um, and then, of course, doing this evaluation is going to cost quite a bit. When we have had an evaluation done, admittedly not at that level, um, but certainly we can look into doing that. At the same time, I want to say that when we ask questions like these, it's very easy for people to talk about what's wrong and what they don't like. But what I noticed was that people talked about all kinds of things that are wrong with our jail now. But no one has really talked about how to make it right. And, well, I I didn't hear anything that really addressed it very well. But I I think these are things we still have to learn about, look into. But it would be helpful if we could kind of balance the negative with positive, you know, at least attempt to look and see if there are solutions for things aside from the way it's always been done. Um, but that may be difficult, and it may turn out that we can't really do that. Monroe County Circuit Court Judge Kara Croth asked Jones why the county couldn't renovate the current building rather than build a new jail. Jones replied that the current jail has structural problems. You want to talk about positives, but is there a reason, and I don't think it's really been talked about, like why we couldn't renovate the current jail space in the current building? because we know the condition of the overall building is in trouble. And what does that mean? Like, is it going to collapse? Because I need to know. We have, well, actually, I would have to talk to David Gardner about this because he's the person who knows very clearly what the problems are. And he certainly does not believe that there's any good way to go about that. Um, and I will point out that the fact that the jail is on multiple floors is taking much, much more staff than would be needed with a jail that's all on one floor. The long waits for inmates to be moved around have to do with that. Um, a lot of the, the things that people would like to see change it's going to be very difficult to change in that jail. It's going to be hard to have five to six meeting rooms there. Um, you know, the, there's just a lot to be thought about. So 
while it's easy to say Fullerton Pike is not an ideal location, and I understand it's not, um, our alternative may be doing nothing. And that would not serve us well at all, because then what probably happens is the federal government does come in and tells us that we must build a jail and tells us what it's to look like, what how it's to function, how big it's supposed to be, and good chance it'll end up on Fullerton Pike. Um, so, you know, unless we can figure out some really good ways of solving the problems in our current jail, it's going to be difficult to stay there. Judge Croth said the process of building a new jail would take several years. She questioned why the jail couldn't be improved in the meantime. Jones retorted that ideally, the current jail would be renovated. But to the point where it might, if we were to build a new jail, it would take several years. Yes. Has the county talked to a contractor to see if there can be improvements, at least in the short term? Because we have people in our jail every day who are living in these conditions. Yes. That were outlined in the report, which are not ideal. Yes. Um, yeah. I we Ideally, we could do something for them immediately. I think that people are asking that, first of all, there be an evaluation, which would probably take some time. And then there's implementation, which would also take more time. And then, of course, that's money that's been spent that can't be used for other things like treatment and programming and things like that. So, I mean, it's, it's a huge, complex problem. During public comment, local resident Sydney Foreman gave testimony on behalf of Care Not Cages, which opposes the new jail. Hello, my name is Sydney Foreman, and I'm with the Care Not Cages. We're a group made up of local residents who understand how damaging jail is and how important it is to make sure the fewest possible members of our community have to spend time there. Um, and I would just really like to echo um, Ms. Cross's comments this evening, and I think she brought up some really important points about feeling uncomfortable. And I think after reading all of those comments from people who spend their time there and work there and live this life every day, um, if they see that many problems with it, you should all be very uncomfortable. Um, and I think that speaks volumes to that. This location is not a good idea. It's not a good idea. Um, I think um, coming back to my written comments were here. Um, Care Not Cages is here to ask first why the county and the CJRC in particular have not followed up with the most obvious and promising recommendation of the Ken Ray report to estimate the cost of renovating the existing facility. Why has this step not been taken? And if a renovation isn't enough, um, why not a, an adaptive reuse? Why aren't we looking at stripping the building back down a little bit more, reconfiguring the walls, providing more space, readjusting some things? Um, and one of the comments that wasn't read out loud, but I noticed said that there are spaces in the current jail that aren't being used, some rooms that aren't being used. Um, and why? Why is that? Why can't we use what we have or think about what we have already? That's all. Thanks. The rezoning of the Fullerton Pike location will be on the city council agenda this Wednesday. The Community Justice Reform Committee will meet again on January 6th of next year. 
Up next, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between the WFHB Local News and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here's today's featured animal. Today's featured animal is going to be a little different. Sycamore Land Trust's nature preserves are home to many native Indiana plants and animals, including our featured animal today, the bobcat. Bobcats are a medium-sized wildcat native to North America. They are named for their short tail that appears to have been cut or bobbed, which is white on the bottom and black striped on the top. Their ears are black-tipped and pointed, and they have large tufts of fur on their cheeks. The spotted patterning on their fur acts as camouflage. Bobcats are crepuscular, which means they are active mostly during twilight. They are fast and can run up to 30 miles per hour. They are also excellent climbers and jumpers and are able to travel up to 12 feet in a single bound. While they prefer rabbits and other small creatures for food, They can hunt and kill animals much larger than they are, including deer. Bobcats are largely solitary and rarely seen because of their ability to blend into their surroundings and move silently. Bobcat vocalizations are rarely heard by humans. But in southern Indiana, Sycamore Land Trust is monitoring bobcats living on our nature preserves using motion-triggered wildlife cameras installed along game trails. These cameras have captured multiple bobcat families, traveling and hunting together, and even recorded a bobcat mother calling to her kittens to catch up. You can watch the footage at sycamorelandtrust.org wildlife. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. Today's topic is animal welfare and land stewardship. Oftentimes people think of animal welfare and land stewardship as very separate topics. But at the Bub Fund, we encourage you to think of the ways animal welfare intersects with other work. So how do animal welfare and land stewarding work together? On a global scale, land conservation is a critical piece of animal welfare, often protecting the habitats of many wildlife species. Having a protected green space with accessible trails provides a place for people to connect with their animals, unplug, and be in nature. We're lucky to have an incredible organization in southern Indiana, Sycamore Land Trust, a nonprofit conservation organization that has been protecting land, restoring habitat, and connecting people to nature in southern Indiana since 1990. 
Sycamore Land Trust owns and cares for more than 10,500 acres on over 125 protected properties and maintains trails on 13 preserves for free public use. Sycamore Land Trust owns and cares for more than 10,500 acres on over 125 protected properties. They maintain trails on 13 preserves for free public use. They have accessible nature preserves, some right in the middle of neighborhoods, and they're a great place to find nature preserves to hike, discover new habitats, and share the great outdoors with family and friends. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.